0: Welcome to episode 298 of Live Happy Now. Anxiety affects millions of people, and it's no secret that the pandemic and other events of the past year have not exactly helped. This is your host, Paula Phelps, and this week we're talking to Dr. Lauren Cook about how anxiety in itself has become an epidemic. Lauren is not only a therapist, speaker, and author, but she also knows firsthand what it feels like to experience anxiety. So she's here this week to talk about the uptick she's seen in anxiety, explain more about why it's so common, and offer some solutions for dealing with it right now. Lauren, welcome back to Live Happy Now. Paula, I'm thrilled to be back. Well, we had talked before about toxic positivity and um to keep that upbeat thing going, <laughs> we're gonna talk about anxiety today. You know, is We enter 2021. I've seen so many stories that it's talking about the high levels of anxiety that people are experiencing. And is this something that you're seeing a lot of in your practice?
1: It really is. You know, over 40 million Americans experience anxiety. And what's been really fascinating for me to see in my practice is that at the beginning of the pandemic, I'd say sometimes anxiety levels went down a little bit because many people got to be kind of safe in their homes, tucked away. But then as the pandemic has gone on, and especially as we start thinking about going back to reality as that's getting closer and closer, I'm seeing anxiety really start to creep back up for people because a lot of us have lost touch with our social skills. We're not sure how to operate in this
0: new way. So I'm seeing a lot of anxiety really resurface for folks. And that's interesting because we would think, hey, it's opening back up. We're going to be running out like, yay, here we are. But I know what you're talking about where people are very concerned. They're very cautious. And, you know, my mom was agoraphobic. I think about people who suffer from that and how this has been an enchanting time for them to be able to just stay in. And now that's going away.
1: Isn't that right? Exactly. And So much of the treatment for anxiety is exposure because anxiety, we really tap into wanting to avoid, right? Of wanting to retreat. And that's agoraphobic levels at its peak, right? When we feel like we can't leave our homes Mm -hmm. and the pandemic just facilitated that so completely. And so now it just feels like the ultimate exposure, right? To go back outside of our homes when we haven't done that for almost a year, that can really feel like. Insurmountable in a lot of ways for a lot of people.
0: And what about people that don't have that social or generalized anxiety? You're still seeing anxiety in people who didn't normally have anxiety, aren't you?
1: I am, yeah. I think people who maybe had some fear around germs, things like that, that certainly has really been heightened. But also, I think it's really gotten to an existential anxiety. This pandemic has made us look at the reality that. And I say this to warn our listeners, but the reality that we all are going to die at some point in our lives. Mm -hmm. And and I don't say that to be morbid, but I think (laughs) we've really been confronted with that this year. And I think that makes people much more aware of the reality of their existence of their lives. And I think that's been a big shift for people.
0: And is there a certain thing that people are most anxious about? Because we've had a lot. I mean, we've had a lot of unrest. And now we have, we've had the pandemic. There's just been so much going on. And, you know, I live in Nashville and it started right before we got our first case of coronavirus. We were hit by a tornado. We've been locked down. And then Christmas Day, we had the bombing. And it's, I know a lot of people who are just like, I can't live here anymore. I can't deal with this. So there's been a lot for other people to deal with. And how does that cumulatively affect us? It's not just,
1: COVID, there's been so many things that have happened in this past year with natural disasters, with social justice movements happening. I mean, there's been so many things just adding and adding up. And so I think a lot of people are feeling really tapped out. People are feeling really burned out. And as we talk about the notion of going back into our real day-to-day lives, people wonder, where's my bandwidth? How do I have the energy to muster up going back to the life that I led before this past year. And I think a lot of people feel like, where do I get the energy to do that? And I think that's where we have really got to come back to relying on each other. I don't know if you've seen this, Paula, but I really noticed that people have been retreating more and more and our social relationships have really weakened this past year. Our friendships are often not feeling as strong. And so I think we've got to tap back into those relationships as we go back out into our world, into the community. I think that's going to be a big way that we can start to work through the anxiety that a lot of us are feeling.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Because I know there's people that I would have thought I'd be in better touch with throughout this. And that goes both ways. But I think about that, like, why haven't I reached out more? And What's going on with them where they haven't reached out? And it's weird. So why are we not doing that as much as we should?
1: I think that's a great question. And I really think it's important we not personalize if we're not hearing from loved ones. I think a lot of people feel like, well, do people care about me? Why is no one reaching out? And really, people are going through so much in their life right now. And often we kind of see this learned helplessness response where Mm -hmm. after month after month, we feel like we're getting beat down people start to pull back even more. We start to feel that resilience sometimes, feel a little bit less activated. And so we have to remember, you know, that people aren't intentionally ignoring us or isolating us. We just aren't using those socializing muscles that we normally use on a daily basis. So those muscles get a little bit weaker and eventually we start to not even notice that we're not reaching out as much. So I really encourage your listeners today check back in on your relationships give yourself a little assessment on the health of your relationships and even if you just you know give a phone call send a text even if it's been 6 months it's never too late to reach back out to people that you care about
0: now for a lot of people new year's eve this year was unlike anything else because one we couldn't go out and two everybody was just like get this year out of here and we kind (laughs) of thought like we are gonna wake up and it's a new year and yay 2021 it's all good but that's really not how it is we still have a lot to work through and what kind of frustration has that created for people or how have people reacted to that that you've seen
1: yeah i think so many of us right we kind of wished our way to 2021 (laughs) Summer, I was hearing people say goodbye, 2020. But one thing I talk a lot about, you know, is that we can't wish for our happiness in the future. You know, I'll be happy next week, next month, next year, next life. Like, we have got to find a way to still find meaning in our present moment, no matter how challenging it is. Because if there's anything 2020 showed us, it's that there's always, always going to be a challenge. And I think that's a reality we maybe don't want to accept, but the sooner we can sit with that truth, the sooner we will not be wishing our lives and our time away, the sooner we'll be able to say, okay, you know what, January 1st, we're talking today, January 19th, we're still going through a hard time, right? But rather than wish all of 2021 away, how can we shift perspective on this experience to still make meaning out of it, to still find ways that we're growing through this experience. That's one of the best ways we can work through anxiety, is to shift our perspective on the challenges in our lives. That's a huge, huge way that we can sit with the distress, I find.
0: And what if the challenges seem too great? Because that can be overwhelming in itself, to recognize all the different things. People who have lost jobs, who financially they're They're really struggling. They don't know where they're going to go next. Sitting with that can be very overwhelming.
1: It certainly can. And I definitely don't want to minimize that by any means. I think, though, and this goes back to our conversation on toxic positivity, right? If we can be real with ourselves about the pain that we're in, about the sadness, the loss, the frustration, if we can actually sit honestly with those emotions they no longer become as threatening to us. And by doing that, we start to see that we engage in maybe less numbing or less harmful behaviors. Because a lot of us, when we're in pain, what do we do? We maybe start drinking, we start binge watching or binge eating, and then those harmful behaviors exacerbate our pain. So if we can actually learn to sit with our distress, sit with our losses, and process it with our loved ones, doesn't make the pain go away. But we can start to get to that healing process because we're being real and honest with ourselves about what we are actually going through, which is not an easy thing.
0: And then that gives us an opportunity to create some sort of strategy or a game plan for how we want to move through it.
1: Exactly. Exactly. When we're real with ourselves, that's when we can actually come up with what's coming up next in our lives and get the support that we that we need.
0: Now, you've dealt with people with anxiety for a while. Is there anything different that you're seeing with the anxiety that you're seeing now versus what you've seen in the past?
1: So if you notice yourself or your loved ones, you haven't heard from them in a while, or you're not reaching out, sometimes that's a sign that the hopelessness has crept back in and a good indicator of, okay, I've got to go back to my self-care plan. I've got to go back to scheduling out some routine for myself, getting back to my exercise plan. When you're at that state of hopelessness, you've got to take action. You've got to make movement because the hopelessness is telling you, stay in bed. You're not going to get better. And you can't listen to that voice because ultimately that just makes the symptoms worse.
0: What are some of the ways that you can override that? Because I know once that kicks in, people really struggle with pushing it away.
1: It's powerful, right? Mm -hmm. I know.
0: It's like a weighted blanket that you can't move.
1: It really is. And there's actually research that actual weighted blankets are really helpful. with (laughs) But this is the worst kind of weighted blanket, right? That makes you feel like you're just locked in bed. So the fancy term that we use for, we call it behavioral activation. But basically it means get out of bed. You may have (laughs) every fiber in your body saying, I can't do it. But behavioral activation is all about Hey, put those tennis shoes on your feet. Let's take one step and get outside. Let's put some sausage in the frying pan. Let's start to cook ourselves some breakfast. Let's get going. Let's brush our teeth. When we start those little movements of action, it builds momentum and it makes it easier and easier to take the next step. I always say with my clients, first step's going to be the hardest. And once you take those next first steps, you're going to feel like you can get moving, keep going. And that's going to help you get better. So come back to that behavioral activation. Give yourself credit for just those first few steps. And if that feels overwhelming, just set five minutes on the clock. And then you know, okay, it's not going to be forever that I'm going on a walk, but five minutes. And I think most people often see that they're able to do more and more once they get started with that step.
0: And committing to that is a big part of it. Do you create a schedule? Do you say, I'm going to commit to... Every day, I'm going to walk for five minutes for this week and then build up? Or how do, you, how do you make that commitment and make yourself stick to it?
1: I'm a really big advocate of scheduling and structure. We need that. Our, our brains and our bodies, we are rooted in circadian rhythms. We need that structure. We need time on the weekends, right, where we, we get off the clock. But overall, I think humans, we really do thrive on having habits that we build over time. And so one app that I love, it's called Way of Life. I use it myself. Even something as simple as drinking enough water, or like we said, going for that five minute walk, flossing your teeth, (laughs) you know, we (laughs) we feel an incentive when we can give ourselves that little mental gold star for the day of, hey, you know, I did something good for myself. And again, that builds energy. Once you start getting three, four days in a row, you're going to feel motivated to, you want to keep that streak going of, hey, I want day five of flossing my teeth. (laughs) So that builds over time. So yes, I'm a big advocate of taking 10 minutes at the start of the day to build out your structure, your schedule. That's going to be a game changer for a lot of people.
0: That's a great tip. And for some people, they might feel anxious, but don't recognize it as such. Cause I had a friend who was talking to me and she's telling me all these things she was feeling. And I'm like, she's telling me the signs of anxiety. But when I suggested that it might be anxiety, she was shocked, shocked. I tell you that, <laughs> that someone would think she was anxious. So can you talk about what are some of the common signs that you might be anxious?
1: Yeah. And I think with your friend, that's such a common experience, right? For a lot of reasons, we have a lot of stigma about anxiety where we feel like I don't have that. And also we often don't really talk about what those signs are. So let's do that. One of the biggest indicators is, is if somebody feels like they are worrying about so many different things, worrying about finances, friendships, relationships, health. If you're rolling the tape in your mind, you know, Oh, should I have said that thing to my friend? Did I do this? Take care of this? This is all signs that, you know, maybe our brain is ruminating if you're thinking back in time, but also if you're thinking future time, right? We often say worrying doesn't change the outcome, but if you're experiencing anxiety, your worrying is trying to serve a purpose for you. You're mentally trying to take care of problems before they happen. And also if that worrying feels out of control for you, if your mind feels like a hamster on a wheel, just going, 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 can't stop. That's something to tune into. Some other signs I'll go over quickly. If you're noticing sleep impairment, you're waking up in the night or you're having trouble falling asleep because of these ruminating thoughts. Or, you know, if you notice that you're feeling agitated or tense. We often don't talk about irritability as a component of anxiety, but it often is for a lot of folks. We also sometimes see muscle tension, body aches, back pain. And then one thing too to note is if you're having difficulty concentrating, if you start to feel like you have that goldfish brain where you start a task and you're like, <laughs> "Wait, why did I start? What am I supposed to be doing?" These are all indicators that anxiety may be present in your life. And again, it's nothing to be ashamed of. You know, like I said at the beginning of our call today, 40 million Americans experience anxiety. It is the most common mental health concern that we see happening not only in our country, but in our world. And there's a lot of subsets of anxiety, right? There's social anxiety, there's phobias, OCD can be very much rooted in in anxiety. So there's a lot of different components to it. And a lot of people experience it on a daily basis.
0: So, if someone's listening and they're like, oh, yeah, I think that might be me, <laughs> one of the things you talk about are homeopathic approaches to anxiety. And I know you also talk about getting your physical health checked out. And I want to talk about that. But so, say someone identifies like this could be what's going on with me. What are some of these homeopathic approaches that you talk about?
1: Yes. And, you know, I have to speak to my own personal experience with this because. I myself experience anxiety. I'm a therapist and I'm I, look at anxiety. <laughs> I am no stranger to a panic attack. I, I have a phobia myself. And so I really wanted to take a look at my own treatment plan. Yes, I've been to therapy, but I'm also really interested in homeopathic care. I just started working with a naturopathic doctor. It has been life changing. I've really been learning recently about anti-inflammatory diets Mm -hmm. that can really impact our health. I mean, if you think about it, a lot of people are hesitant to take psychiatric medication. Think about with food, what we put in our bodies with that, that can be a form of medicine, right? And the foods that we put in our bodies can make us healthy or they can make us sometimes really not feel so great. I'm on day 11 now of an anti inflammatory program. First time in my life I've done this. Can I say, 11 days, no panic attacks, no Wonderful. desire to use psychiatric medication to help with anxiety? Whoa, like that. <laughs> so I can speak to my own experience of this as a therapist that our nutrition and what we put into our bodies, the supplements that we take, it can make a difference. And so, I know for a lot of people listening, right, it can feel overwhelming with treatment, maybe going to a therapist, going to a psychiatrist that might feel like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready for that. But even thinking about the food that you put in your body and maybe working with a naturopathic doctor. I recommend working with somebody, not just doing this on a whim, but making... Don't just Google it, are you saying? (laughs) Go, Dr. Google, please. (laughs) Um, But work with a provider, you know, get your blood work done. A lot of times we want to just medically rule out, you know, maybe there's something going on with your thyroid, right? So there's a lot of different interventions that we can take. And me personally, I've seen it changing my diet, cutting back on sugar, cutting back on gluten and dairy. I feel like a different person. So... That's something that I'd recommend for all our viewers listening in today to take a good look at what you're putting into your body and start to note if if you see what you're eating, how that might tie into the anxiety that you're experiencing.
0: That is really great advice. But you do also talk about if you're feeling anxious, it is important to get your physical health checked. So why is that?
1: Yes, it is key because just like what I was saying a little while ago, there could be medically something going on that needs to be ruled out, right? There could be something, like I was saying, going on with your thyroid, something going on with your blood work, even your vitamin D levels, right? I mean, we're seeing such an association with COVID and a lack of vitamin D in the body. Mm -hmm. So making sure that your blood work is all up to date. I know a lot of people have been hesitant to go to the doctor this past year If you feel comfortable, this is the time, 2021, reconnect with your physical health. It is never too late to do so. And so much of anxiety is physically based, whether it's panic attacks, all that adrenaline that goes through your body when you're feeling anxious, that impacts your physical health. So you owe it to yourself. Make that appointment with your general doctor, get that ball rolling And often we see people's anxiety actually go down after they've made an appointment to get their general checkup of the year because it's a form of self-care, right? It's a way of making sure, you know what, I'm looking after my body, I'm loving my body, I'm in this for the long haul, and so we've got to take those
0: preventative steps. Sure, and then if there isn't something physically, then that in itself is reassuring and can reduce anxiety because it's like look, I just checked out. I'm all good.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Right. So you want to rule it out just to be sure. And it's a great way to kind of get your roadmap started for next best treatment steps too.
0: Yeah. And as you have noted, having someone to help you on that journey is so key in getting the right practitioner who's able to keep you going down the path is is really going to help make this a great year for you.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. We're all learning. And making that appointment as scary as it is, right? Do that act of love for yourself to make an appointment with a person. You know, I've been sharing on my Instagram about this naturopathic journey I've been on for the past few weeks. and I've had so many people message me of saying, I just made an appointment too. (laughs) Share your journey, share what you're learning. We're all learning from each other. I believe that we can all help one another with our own experiences. And so the more we can be open and honest about what's working for us, what's not working for us, I think we're all gonna see, wow, a lot of us do experience anxiety and it's one of the most treatable things, but we've got to share what's working to know (laughs) how we can get that support.
0: Absolutely. And you also say that just... Accepting anxiety helps us. So how can you explain how that works? Yes.
1: So I'm a huge advocate. It's called acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT for short. It's very counterintuitive, right? Because a lot of times we think we need to fight the anxiety. We need to push it away. We need to make it go away. And so actually accepting the anxiety and sitting with it, people are like, what?
0: Why would I want to do that?
1: (laughs) You're telling me to like make a bed for the monster that I feel like is running (laughs) away? But yes, I am because the more you try and shut that monster out of your closet, your door, the bigger it's going to feel. And that door feels like it's going to break in. And so if you can say, okay, I see you here, I don't necessarily love that you're here, but I'm just going to allow you to be, that monster no longer feels so threatening. Maybe it starts to feel like Sully from Monsters, Inc. If you've seen that movie, where <laughs> it, actually, it, it almost can become a friend of, okay, you're just trying to look out for me, anxiety. You're just trying to have my back. Maybe you're not so helpful, but I'm no longer going to feel threatened by you.
0: As I let you go, what would you say the number one thing that people can do right now after listening to this? What is the main thing that they need to do to start? And dealing with that anxiety that's going on.
1: Meditate. <laughs> I don't right. think I don't think that's groundbreaking. I hope people have already heard that, but I want to reiterate that. I'm living that in my own life right now in 2021. I've been meditating on almost a daily basis. I won't tell you I'm perfect at it because hey, I gotta walk the walk. I can't just talk the talk. But if you can practice meditating even for three to five minutes a day get the Calm app, get Headspace or Insight Timer, all great tools and resources. Or even, you know, when you're doing the dishes, if you can just be mindfully present in the here and now, that is going to help you with any anxiety that you're experiencing because your anxiety wants you to either think about the past or worry about the future. If you can be mindful in the moment and just allow your thoughts to be what they are, sit with them, realize them. That's the acceptance piece we're talking about. Your life is going to feel a lot less out of control because you are going to be grounded in this present moment. You're going to learn that you have the ability to get through whatever life throws at you. But mindfulness allows you that inner peace to just sit with yourself for a few moments. So three to five minutes a day, that's my biggest tip to get people started.
0: Well, we appreciate that. And Lauren, I appreciate you coming back on the show and talking about this. It's a such a relevant topic, such an important thing for us to learn this year. And I appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us.
1: Oh, Paul, it's great to be back. I'm really glad that we got to do this today.
0: That was Dr. Lauren Cook talking to us about managing anxiety. To learn more about Lauren and the work she's doing or to follow her online, visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the links. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.